Um, she's going to continue in the short series that we've begun because there's more messages. Uh, we're, we're talking about growing God's intent for each one of us, growing up into fullness that's in Christ. This, this simple and yet profound phrase from Ephesians where Paul says that, that God's design for each one of us is to attain, not by our own strength, but to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And in that first sermon that I brought, um, thinking about that, we looked at the example of David in the Old Testament, just absolutely um, betrayed and at the lowest point, and how he turned to the Lord and strengthened himself in the Lord. And we said, how did he do that? You know, there's some things that he did that we can learn that are like God-given tools for daily life that the Lord uses, but we have a part to play to grow us up into Christ. It's not like something that just happens, like we get born again and come to faith and all of a sudden we grow regardless of how we, what we do or don't do. There are some sort of main ingredients that are going to cause us to grow or not grow, to flourish or not flourish, regardless of circumstance. And so we've named three of them so far, and I'm going to just briefly name those. And this morning, the the fourth one that I'm going to name, I think these first four make a package that when they're working together in the life of a believer, um, beautiful fruit emerges together. So we said the first thing that we need is faith that comes through a mind that's renewed by the word of God. I've got to think God's thoughts. I have to think the way he thinks about myself, about him, about the world, about living with him. I need to think the way he thinks. And when my mind is renewed by his word, when I have faith, then that second piece is I'll engage him with everything in prayer. He's given this wonderful relational gift called prayer by which I can bring things to him and it's this place of transformation. I don't just bring things, I receive things. We looked at that text from Philippians where Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. And we said, we, one person says, if you leave the first place of prayer the same way you entered into it, you aren't praying. We have a living God who makes real promises and we're to come to him with faith that he has something for us. We might not see the situation changed, but he's got something for us as we face it. He strengthens. He imparts something of his own self to us in the place of prayer. And we change in that place. So we've got a mind renewed by the word of God. We've got a relationship with the one who loves us, to whom we belong. We're bringing things to him in prayer. And then we said last week that uh, we looked at Psalm 89 and we have this wonderful gift of worship that we don't just wait to happen to us, but that like the psalmist, we can stir ourselves up because he is worthy all the time. And we said when we stir ourselves up, when we learn to cultivate a heart and a life and an attitude of worship to the Lord, well, the psalmist said, we experience the presence of God. He said, blessed is the one who's learned to acclaim the Lord. 
That means publicly and enthusiastically praise. They walk in the light of his presence. So we've got faith. We've got a prayer life that's developing. We're learning how to stir ourselves up to worship the Lord. And then this last one this morning. We're going to read from Proverbs and the Heidelberg Catechism. So if you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs is... As you, as you all know, um, wisdom, how to live well. And so we're going to read chapter 4, verses 6 to 9 and 20 to 23. And then I'll read a section from the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a, a confession of this church, a teaching tool, and I'll read question and answer 127. Proverbs chapter 4. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. My child or my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Or, and the newer NIV says, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. This uh, question and answer from the catechism, the question is, what does the sixth request mean? And it's talking about a request from the Lord's Prayer. So the answer is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one means, by ourselves, we're too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us and so lord uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your holy spirit so that we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory and the piece i wanted to pick up out of there just as i'll mention it again later our sworn enemies the devil the world and our own flesh Never stop attacking us. I was doing my personal devotions a couple of weeks ago, reading in the Gospel of Mark, and I read something that just absolutely shocked me. And I want to begin by sharing that with you. I was reading the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and then it says after he feeds them, in Mark's version, he sends the disciples out in a boat to row across the lake, and he goes up the mountainside to pray. 
and he prays for a number of hours, and at the, about the fourth watch of the night, he sees the disciples in the middle of the lake struggling against the wind. They're in a storm, and he goes and he walks out to them on the lake. They're paranoid. They think it's a ghost. He says, don't worry, to take courage, it's, it's I. And he gets in the boat with them, and the storm completely stops. And then the text says, and they were astonished, were completely amazed, because they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. And when I read that, I was like, what? That is not what I was expecting to hear, because I, I was reading really slowly and meditating. So I'm picturing the scene unfolding as it's happening. I'm picturing them in the boat against the oars. I'm picturing him seeing them, picturing him walking to them. I'm picturing them seeing him walking on the water, like really slowly, just how strange this is, right? And and then figuring out it's him and the storm stops. So I'm in this place of astonishment with them. And when he says, the text says, and they were astonished, I expected to read because Jesus just finished walking on water and he got in the boat and the storm stopped. And I was like, why does it not say that? Why does it say they were amazed because they didn't understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened? So then I thought, I got to backtrack. So I backtracked and this is what I found earlier in the chapter. It begins with Jesus sending out the twelve. So he's already designated them apostles. Now he says, I give you power and authority. He sends them out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. They come back and they begin to report to him all that they do. And he says, come away with me. Let's go get some rest. And so they're pulling away for rest. And the crowds find them and the crowds follow them. And Jesus starts, oh, one more thing. While they were away, John the Baptist is beheaded. He dies. This is Jesus' cousin. So the disciples come back. They're tired. They're weary. They're elated, but they're tired. Jesus has grief. And he says, come away with me. And they get away. And they're in this sweet place. And the crowds find him. And Jesus, with his compassion, begins to minister and to teach. And the disciples say to him, send the crowds away. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. You find something for them to eat. And then unfolds this miracle, right, where he breaks these few loaves and these fishes and feeds thousands of people, or God does through him. But you don't find out until later They didn't get it. They didn't catch it. Somehow they missed the whole miracle. And I found myself wondering, were they standing in judgment over Jesus? They told him what to do. You ever do that? You've got an idea about what would be best for a situation? I do. And so they told Jesus what to do. And Jesus said, no. And could it be that his own disciples who've spent already quite some time with him, they know him, they walk with him, they're walking now in his power and authority, completely miss 
this miracle because they've harbored something in their own hearts that's caused them to become hard. The author of Proverbs says, get wisdom because wisdom will protect you. It'll watch over you. It'll exalt you. It'll honor you. All of these incredible things. And then he finishes that section by saying, but above all else, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. A wellspring is a source. It's where things come from. And so the, the author of Proverbs is saying something quite, um, quite revolutionary here. He's saying, your life experience doesn't primarily come from out there. It doesn't come from what happens to you. It doesn't come from how your friends treat you. It doesn't come from how, how you, uh, what life experiences you have first and foremost. Your life, the experience of your life comes from inside you. And so guard what you allow to come in, what you allow to have impact or influence on you. Okay, so we started down this road last week when we said if you noticed you were feeling weighed down or you were in a funk or feeling dark or depressed, you weren't sort of victim of those things. You didn't have to keep letting them influence and impact, but you could turn to the Lord. You could stir yourself up in worship. But it's much bigger than that. It's not just those things. That's one example, but as the Catechism told us, your sworn enemies never stop attacking. In other words, there's an ongoing battle for your heart all the time. There's an ongoing battle in every single moment, in any given moment, For what is going to shape you? What's going to influence you? What's going to have a a governing impact on how you are, on who you are, on what's coming through you? What your experience is and what's coming through you? Let me mix a few metaphors and see if it works. I don't know if this is going to work or not. But let me just try and let me pull a few scriptures together, okay? Remember when we were in Corinthians, Paul says, don't you know that those of us who belong to Christ are one spirit with him? Okay, so we're in Christ. We're one. He's in us. Now we move back to the gospel of John. Jesus said, I tell you, come to me, all you who are thirsty and anyone who comes to me out of your inner being will flow rivers of living water. Okay, so let's. I've got Jesus in me. I'm partner to him. I'm joined to him. Belong to him body and soul. I've got a river of living water right here. It's Jesus. Okay? One more. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul's talking about the spirit, the gifts, the body. And he says, all of us were given one spirit to drink. Okay, now let's do it again. I've got Jesus. I'm joined to Jesus. I'm one with him. I've got a river of life that's continually available to me, flows from Jesus, and out of which now, Paul says, I get to drink. I've got a river of life flowing out from me. Right. Okay. So the question is, 
Is anything else impacting that river? Is anything else polluting that river? Is anything else shaping my life? In other words, in any given moment, am I living out of the river of the of life, the living one who's within me and has life for me, whatever the moment of the circumstances I face, who promises to meet all of my needs in proportion to his glorious riches, who's my good shepherd who says I shall not lack, or is something else shaping, influencing, impacting my heart and therefore my life? Okay, I really struggled as I thought about now, how do I start talking about this concretely? Because I thought, this, the, there's, a, there's a, a mile of examples, a mile wide. There's just thousands of things that could get into my heart that could impact me. I could have fear impacting my heart. I could have resentment impacting my heart. I could have um, unresolved anger impacting my heart. I could have judgment impacting my heart. I could have criticism impacting my heart. I could have jealousy impacting my heart. I could have I I could have Paul says do everything without complaining or arguing so that you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. I could have uh, complaining which is a form of unbelief. Impacting my heart. I mean, there's just so much, right? Where do I start? Like the catechism says, there's this continual assault, okay? On our, so I just want to take one and drill down into it a little bit, because I think this is a big one. And I just want to name a few ways that fear can impact our hearts. I could be afraid in any given moment of failure. I could be afraid of disappointing others. I could be afraid of being alone. I could be afraid of not having enough. I could be afraid of not being enough. I could be afraid of the future. I could be afraid of my children's future. I could be afraid of loss. I could be afraid of hurt. I could be afraid of rejection. I could be afraid of so many things. And we all struggle with this. Okay? Uh, so often at a subconscious level, like we're being influenced but not processing what's influencing us. And when we yield to fear or anything else, we are allowing something that is inferior to God to shape and to govern our hearts, and our lives. Let me give you another example from Scripture of um, both yielding and not yielding and the difference that it makes. Matthew 16. Jesus has uh, just finished taking his disciples to 
one of the most horrific places on earth, uh, Caesarea Philippi, where, did you visit that place, Nick? Yeah. Um, where cult practices were uh, occurred in very grotesque ways, and I'm not going to describe them here. I don't want to give any airtime to it. But he took his disciples there, and he said, right here, even the gates of Hades, which is a literal place, um, will not stop the kingdom of God. And then he had this conversation with them about, who do you say I am? You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Yes, blessed are you, Peter. The Lord's revealed this to you. And now let me tell you what that means. It means the Son of Man's got to go to Jerusalem, and he's got to be rejected, and he's got to be killed. And Peter says, no, 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 Lord, Lord, Lord. No, 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 no. That's not going to happen to you. He takes him aside, and Jesus immediately says, get behind me, Satan. What do you have going on here? What's motivating Peter? Okay. You, have, you have the foremost leader in Jesus' church, the, the person upon whom Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, speaking words that originate in hell. Okay, He's come under the influence, probably of fear. I don't want to lose you. I don't want to lose what we have. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but we can, we can wonder. And that, that unfiltered, that lack of filtering, what's influencing his heart, leads him to speak things that if Jesus would have listened, we wouldn't be sitting here today. That's how cosmic of an impact his words could have had. But on the flip side of it is, you've got Jesus so aware of what could impact his heart, what could shape him, that he immediately senses and says, this is not from the Father. This is not life. This is from hell. Get behind me, Satan. He's guarding his heart. I won't let anything impact me except my Father's good plans and intentions, even if they're difficult and call for my own suffering and death. You see that working its way out? Okay, he was guarding his heart. This is what he was doing. And he did it. He did it. Sometimes you need to do that really quickly. Sometimes you need to just cut it off because it's not from the Lord. And if you give it room and let it start to grow, we've all got stories of what happens when that starts to happen, right? There's Jesus modeling for us a guarding of the heart. Okay. Well, in one sense, he's guarding the well that he's got a drink out of. When we do this, we're guarding... What we, what we, it's like, if we let something to get sown in, we gotta reap it later, right? If you think, use the seed metaphor. If you go back to the well metaphor, if you let something get put into your well, you gotta drink out of it later. So I think about, like, not many of us have wells right now, we're all in the city tap system, most of us, but if you had a well at your place, and you saw somebody going to put something in your well that you knew didn't belong there and you were going to have to drink out of it, you would not stand for it. 
You would not let anything get in your water that what you were going to have to drink later. That you didn't want to be there. You would not let anything that had a corrupting or a polluting or a poisoning impact get in that well. So the good news is that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to guard our hearts. To not let anything get in the well that's going to shape us outside of Christ. I'm joined to him. I've, I've got him within me, the river of life. I've got his word. And anytime I need something, he has something for me. He is the one. If I'm going to grow to fullness in him, if I'm going to reflect him, grow to maturity in him, he's going to be the only one that's influencing me. He's going to do that through people at times, but it's going to be him, right? So how does this happen? This practically how if if so much of this um, being impacted or shaped or influenced can if, can happen subconsciously or without uh, our awareness, how do we guard our own hearts? I want to I want to close with this. I don't normally give you uh, acronyms, <laughs> but I felt led to one this this week. So if you've got a pen, write this down or a phone. The word is, the acronym word is SEEK. SEEK. S-E-E-K. S is slow down. Slow down. You cannot process what you're not aware of. Move. At a pace where you can process what is impacting me. And understand when anything that's not of the Lord is impacting you. Slow down. Two, exercise discernment. Exercise discernment. Recognize and and ask the Lord to help to cultivate within you an awareness of what is uh, what forces are at work acting upon your heart and your mind. If you're unaware, it's hard to exercise discernment. Once you become aware, then you need his help recognizing what comes from you, what doesn't come from you. What comes from my own heart? What's in my heart? Lord, help me to parse things apart. Exercise discernment. Second E, expect resistance and provision. Expect resistance and provision. If you want to be governed, filled with the Spirit, governed, led, shaped by the Spirit at all times, in all ways... You will meet great resistance. The world, the flesh, and the devil. If the leader of Jesus' church can in a moment of poor decision making speak words that originate from hell, so can we. Expect resistance to living fully 
under the influence of the Holy Spirit, of Christ, but also expect provision. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I can't emphasize this enough. There's not a moment, not a situation that God doesn't have a redemptive solution or help for. And then fourth, keep watch or be vigilant. Keep watch, be vigilant. Jesus says, if you knew that a robber was going to come in the night, you wouldn't let him come. You'd be up, you'd be aware. If people knew when the Son of Man was going to come, they'd be ready. But he tells his disciples, keep ready, keep watch, because you won't know. Well, the same principle applies for keeping watch over our hearts. If we expect resistance, if we expect to have to process and to turn to the Lord, we're guarding. Not in a uh, hunkered down, afraid sense, but in a, I'm aware, I'm keeping watch. There are attempts to influence me that will yield really bad fruit if I don't. And so I'm watching, I'm guarding. Okay. Let me, um, let me just close with one story from Scripture of what kind of fruit it bears to guard your heart. And I, I think uh, maybe you might find this... Uh, a strange connection, but I, th- I think it works. So Mark chapter 7, the very next chapter, Mark tells about a Syrophoenician woman coming to Jesus. And she begs him, please deliver my daughter. She's got a demon and the thing is tormenting her. Please deliver her. And Jesus says what could at first seem like really strange and even harsh words. He says, it's not right to take the children's food and serve it to the dogs. I think that right then and there, she could have felt rejected. And she could have turned away. Had she heard those words the wrong way, had she not guarded her heart, she could have heard those words and turned away. And if she did, her daughter goes on tormented until who knows what happens. But instead of allowing those words to impact her in a certain way, she discerned, no, there's something in this man that is God at work, that is special, and he's not rejecting me, and he still has something for me. And she presses in and she says, yes, but even the children, even the dogs eat the bread, the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus says, for such an answer, for your faith... You may go, she's been delivered or she's been set free. What did she allow to influence her heart? Faith in Jesus. Not 
an, uh, a statement from Jesus that could have been interpreted as rejection. Could have. I don't believe he was rejecting her in that moment. But instead, faith, which comes from God in Jesus. And then, again, think about the, the impact of this. One moment, one decision to guard her heart. And her daughter is set free for years and decades. Right? So, like, this is, this is really big. This is really huge. From moment to moment, day to day, whether we do this or don't do this, has massive impact on ourselves, on the people we live with, on our children. Guard your heart. Guard what you allow to influence you. Okay? So, let's just, just put it all together to close. I've got a mind renewed by the Word of God. I'm engaged in a relationship, relational journey with the Lord. I bring everything to Him in prayer. I know how to worship Him from a heart that has a faith in his goodness and in his love. I regularly am stirring myself up to commune with him, and I'm guarding my heart that he's the only one that's influencing me. Not anything else. Just him. That's the place of fruitfulness. That's the place of growing up into Christ and him growing up in us. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you take what I just shared, and if it was in any way abstract, I pray that you'd make it concrete and practical in every place where we need it applied. And I pray that you would grant us um, awareness, Lord, awareness in the days and the weeks to come of things that are trying to impact and influence us that aren't you. I ask that you would grow the gift of discernment and of the discernment of spirits among us. That we would be a people in a community that are not only filled with you, but only influenced by you. And I pray this particularly, Lord, as we think about the days ahead and the possibilities for ongoing pressure and hardship in our culture for the church. And I ask Strengthen us, Lord, so that in all, every occasion, every, every conversation, every situation, we have an attitude of faith and we are looking to you, leaning on you, receiving from you, and modeling what it looks like to be a child of God. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen.